Welcome to the Get Healthier Podcast with Rena Jadhav, who's on a quest to uncover breakthroughs and cures in living longer, healthier, and happier. Genetic testing, stem cells, rattling, talking to Silicon Valley geniuses and the best doctors in the world about the hottest products and programs to make you live an amazingly joyful life. Are you ready? Now, here's your host, Rena. Hi everyone, I am Rena Jadav, welcome. And today we have Dr. Elizabeth Boham, who's an MD, MS, RD, a physician and a nutritionist who practices functional medicine at the Ultra Wellness Center in Lenox. Through her practice and her lecturing, she has helped thousands of people achieve their goals of optimal health and wellness. She's witnessed the power of nutrition every day in her practice and is truly committed to training other physicians to utilize nutrition and healing. She has contributed to many articles, written the latest chapter on obesity for the Rankle Textbook of Family Medicine. She's in fact part of the faculty of the Institute for Functional Medicine and has been featured on the Dr. Oz Show, which is probably where you saw her last, and of course in a variety of publications and media, including the Huffington Post, the Chalkboard Medicine, and Experience Life. Her DVD, Breast Wellness, Tools to Prevent and Heal from Breast Cancer explores the functional medicine approach to keeping your breast and your whole body well. You can check her out at drboham.com. And of course, we will be putting links to her website and her social media and Twitter accounts in our show notes. So make sure to check those out later. We are so excited to welcome you today, Dr. Elizabeth. How are you? I'm great. Thank you, Rena, for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you and with all of you. Let's talk breast cancer for a moment. What are the statistics these days? Yeah, you know, um, as many people know, it's unfortunately very common with one in eight women having, uh, at risk for having breast cancer within their lifetime. And typically, the risk goes up as someone gets older, um, but, but there is a risk when we're young as well. And, and that's why I got so interested in, in dealing with breast cancer and breast wellness uh, when I had breast cancer at the age of 30 and was very surprised and shocked that this happened to me and, and knew I needed to, to figure out a, some uh, different things that were going on in my body and all the systems in my body that were, may have influenced my risk of getting cancer. Let's start with that, your own experience. Why do you believe you, you had cancer at such an early age? You know, I think for with with all of us that get cancer, especially cancer at an early age, there's often many things that come into play that influence our risk of of if we get cancer or not. So I don't think it's just one thing. And and I looked for that one thing for a long time, and I know um, many of us do. I think it's many things that come together and influence our risk. Um, for me. Uh, personally, I think I was I was in the middle of my residency program, so um, I had a lot of stress. I was working nights at the time, and um, I think that that contributed to my immune system not working as well as it could mm-hmm. for that period of time. I also think I probably had some exposure to some toxins at a young age. Um, uh, I've been looking a lot at the role of the microbiome and imbalances in the gut floor and how that influences our risk of cancer. And, and I know that I unfortunately had a lot of antibiotics as a child because I had some chronic urinary tract infections. I am sure that influenced how my body 
um, detoxified from toxins in the environment, uh, could process estrogen, um, and, and influenced my immune system as well. So I think that's an important area for us to look at as well. So I think it's many things that come into, into play. Um, and that's what I really try to look at when I'm working with somebody who has had cancer or who has cancer is we want to look at all the systems in their body. Um, and many times when we work to improve each of the different systems in their body and, and support those lifestyle factors, that can help really tremendously with healing. Uh, have you seen from a functional medicine perspective in healing a patient? What, what is your approach and strategy typically? Absolutely. So, you know, uh, we, in functional medicine, we're always focused on, on really gathering all that information about the patient. So we really work to take a detailed history um, from when we're talking with that patient and from their whole life, you know, so early life experiences, um, we, we, we pay attention to their, their birth and, and amount of antibiotics at a young age and, and problems that they've had, they had when they were younger, health history when they were younger, um, intolerances to foods, for example, chronic infections. We pay attention to uh, what sort of symptoms they've had over their lifetime, not just what's going on at that moment, you know, but their, but their whole life's experience, because that really lays the foundation for understanding what imbalances may be going on in their body. And when we can figure out that individual person's imbalances, then we can work to, re to remove them or replace what they need. And that really helps uh, for us to be more successful in treating that patient. So, so for one person, their, mm -hmm. you know, their cancer risk may have been contributed by their, you know, their, their diet and their uh, lack of exercise or, or um, weight, for example, because we know that impacts a person's risk of disease. But for somebody else, it may be more related to toxin exposure. And then we need to really support detoxification in their body. Um, or for somebody else, it may be some imbalances in their immune system function. We, we always focus on those lifestyle factors, really. That forms the foundation of good health, making sure we're getting good, good, good sleep, um, we're doing good movement every day, exercise, right? Making the right food choices, managing our stress well. Um, but then we, as I said, we also look at, is there an imbalance in the systems in their body and what can we do to, to really rebalance that? That makes a lot of sense. Let's talk about a little controversial topic of mammograms and testing for breast health. What are your views on mammograms? Are they safe? Should people be getting? How often should they be getting? At what age should mammograms really start? That's such a great question and, and really is controversial because for a couple of reasons. One, we don't have a, a much better screening method at this point in time. So um, I, I really hope that we continue to work to develop a better screening method so we can uh, have a screening tool that, that, that has less radiation. Mm -hmm. um, and the, uh, the other is that um, everybody's an individual. So I think it's really an important conversation to have with your, your individual physician and to talk about the latest research, which is um, encouraging us to continue to have the yearly physical exams with our physicians, but then making that decision about when a mammogram should start uh, for that individual person. So it's, it, it, is un, it really is an individual uh, decision at this point in time.
in your practice, though, what do you recommend? So if I was your patient, mm-hmm. how do you decide whether to recommend a mammogram? Especially since it turns out that sometimes the results from these mammograms may or may not be accurate in capturing what's going on in the breast tissue. I really take a very detailed history, understanding that person's family history um, and and uh, making sure that they've, they're having their yearly physical exams and their breast exams yearly. Um, after that, it, it really depends on the person's age and, and what their individual risks are. There are some other screening modalities. Um, thermography is, uh, can be used, though I don't think we have enough research there to say that if you get your ther- uh, ther- thermography that you don't have to think about mammograms at all. And women will recommend ultrasounds. Mm-hmm. So it's a combination of, you know, of different uh, screenings to really determine what's best for the patient. But we have to remember that mammography or any of these screening tools are not prevention, right? right. They are early detection. And early detection is great. It saves lives and it's, it's wonderful. But what, what we want to also really focus on is, is prevention. Prevention as much as we can Um, in the first place. I couldn't agree more with you. So let's talk prevention. Uh, Actually, before we jump into prevention, let's talk who is at the highest risk for breast cancer these days. Is there a profile? You know, um, a a woman's risk increases as she gets older. You know, that's true with with most cancers and is true with breast cancer. So as we get older, our risk does increase. in, in addition, our risk increases when um, we gain weight. So overweight women are at higher risk. Um, women who've been on uh, birth control pills for a long period of time or are on the traditional hormone replacement therapy, at least we know, uh, they are at an increased risk. Things that increase a woman's estrogen in their body um, increases their risk. So that's, that's probably the connection between, or at least one of the connections between body weight um, and, and hormone therapy. Um, and the, and the, the reason is in our percentage of body fat, in our body fat, we convert, we, we, we convert other hormones into estrogen. So one way that we can modulate and lower estrogen levels in our body is by lowering our percentage of body fat. So those are a few things that increase our risk. If, you know, when we delay having our first, uh, child that can increase our risk, not breastfeeding increases our risk. Uh, the, the process of getting pregnant and breastfeeding changes the breast tissue. So it actually uh, decreases the risk of getting breast cancer later in life. Got it. So let's talk about prevention then. You know, I think, I think what I'm hearing you say is pretty much every woman should look at prevention as the first step to, to breast health. What age, at what age would you say, because you mentioned, you know, as we get older, we have a higher risk. What's that age range or age cutoff that you would say we women really need to say, okay, from this year on, I need to focus on prevention more aggressively, or at least I need to prioritize it. You know, I think it happens that we should be talking to our young, um, young adults about it, honestly. I mean, I was 30 when I was diagnosed with breast cancer, and I had no family history. I had no known risk factors. I was really interested in nutrition and exercise and thought I was taking really good care of myself. So it was, you know, a complete shock, as, as many of 
us realize that it's a complete shock when it happens. So I think we can't say, oh, this is when you have to start thinking about it. I think, unfortunately, we want to be, you know, talking to our, um, to everybody about prevention. Um, because the good, great thing about things that we can do to decrease our risk of, of cancer, you know, that often decreases our risk of other diseases as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. What do you recommend as a prevention protocol? Yeah. So, um, you know, as we were talking earlier, it's, a, it's, it's very individualized, um, but in general, we're always talking about making sure we're getting good regular exercise every day, right? So, um, mm -hmm. Really, every study has shown that movement and exercise, 30 to 40 minutes every day, is one of the best things we can do to decrease our risk of, of, of breast cancer as well as many, many diseases. Um, making sure we're, we're, when we're with our diet that we're really working to balance our blood sugar. So what that means is, is that you don't want to overdo uh, refined carbohydrates or sugars, of course, but at any one meal or, or in general, you want to balance your blood sugar. You want to eat foods that, that keep your blood sugar more balanced. So at every meal, you want to make sure you have a good healthy fat, you have some good source of protein, whether it's a, a vegetable protein or some animal protein, you have a lot of fiber, and you, and you really watch or limit the amount of refined carbohydrates and sugars. And when you eat that way, that helps your blood sugar stay more stable. As a result, you don't get these insulin spikes and blood sugar spikes, which can feed the growth of cancer. So that's a, that's a really important thing that we can all do. Um, making sure we're getting enough vegetables and phytonutrients in our diet. Phytonutrients are those amazing components of plant foods. That's what's in your, your vegetables, your, your fruits, your spices, your, your teas and coffees. Those phytonutrients are, are, are components from plants that have amazing uh, properties in our body as well. So they have a lot of cancer-fighting properties. So you want to, what we always say is eat from the rainbow. Try to get some natural foods that contain, that are red and orange and yellow and green and blue and purple and, and white and tan every day. And um, we're recommending about, you know, nine to 12 sources of phytonutrients every day. Um, and, and people can really sneak that in. You know, you can have a little bit of spinach, um, uh, with your vet, uh, eggs in the morning, for example, or some blueberries on the side, or um, you know, adding in making a, a you know a soup or stew, having a lot of, of uh, garlic and onions and red peppers and um, great great kale and great ways to get in all those amazing phytonutrients in your day. And the other thing that I think is critical for all of us is to have some some regular relaxation exercise that we're doing, um, something we're doing for ourselves every day, something that's really uh, helping our body calm down and, and relax and, um, and de-stress. Whether it's breathing exercises, maybe you're using a, a, an app that, um, that encourages you to meditate, or maybe you're doing a, a, some yoga or yoga nidra at nighttime. Um, uh, many of these things are really critical for improving the functioning of our immune system, right? Not only does it make us feel better, but we know that when we calm down our body and, and do things that help lower cortisol levels and the stress response in our body, our immune system actually works better. Those natural killer cells, those are the cells that go, go throughout our body and find things that it should get rid of, um, 
infections, cancer cells, they work better. So um, I think that's a really important thing for prevention for everybody. Absolutely. What is your routine? I mean, now that you've had breast cancer in the past, I'm sure it's something that's a priority in your life to prevent it from recurring. Tell us a little bit about your, your prevention strategies and, and tactics. Yeah, so, you know, um, I make sure I pretty much exercise most days. I love to exercise. I've always been an exerciser. So that is a time for me to, um, to de-stress, but also it's, it's kind of like my time. So I love that. Um, I make sure I really focus on getting my phytonutrients, but I also make sure I do stuff for fun um, mm -hmm. because that's really important for me to lower that cortisol level and that stress level. So I make sure I, I, I make time for, for, for my family, for my friends, and um, time to do a yoga class and do things that I really enjoy. I think that's really important. The other thing, I mean, I, I also pay attention to uh, my microbiome. You know, we're learning so much about how the microbiome is, is critical for overall health, for our immune system, and for cancer prevention. And as I said earlier, unfortunately, I had way too many antibiotics as a child. And so, you know, I have to be, I have to pay a lot of attention to, to my microbiome. You know, I, I take some good probiotics. I um, I make sure I'm getting a lot of fiber in my diet. I, I get in some extra fiber with things like ground flaxseed. Um, you know, I will also uh, have some green tea. We know green tea has EGCG in it, which is the phytonutrient that can, that can stop um, angiogenesis, which is that process of, of blood vessels going to a cancer cell, which allows cancer to grow. So uh, the green tea is, is really has some great anti-cancer properties in it. So I'll have some green tea in the morning. Um, those are some of the things that I do to take care of myself. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Let's talk about the microbiome. It's definitely getting a lot more attention these days. I think there's new tests that have come up. There's uh, new literature, new research around the critical importance of it. To what extent has research found that there is a link between poor gut health and breast cancer? Um, yeah, you know, th there's a few things that, that they've been researching and, and definitely more research needs to be done. But um, uh, interesting studies showing that as a woman's need for antibiotics increases, so does her risk of breast cancer. So, um, you know, they looked over a, a I think it was a 20 year period of time and uh, added up how many times somebody needed antibiotics over those 20 years and saw that as a woman's intake of antibiotics increased, so did her breast cancer risk. And there, and there could be, of course, a lot of reasons for that, right? You know, some people say, well, maybe those women just have um, worse immune systems and that's why they get more infections and need more antibiotics. And maybe their immune system's not as strong and they get more cancer. Um, but the other theory, right, is that that shift that occurs when we take antibiotics is doing more than just killing off the bacteria that's causing infection in our body, right? So, so it's, it's that those antibiotics are shifting the microbiome and, and the, you know, if, it's, if you need antibiotics once in a while, once in a blue moon, I don't think it's much of a problem. But when we're getting a large amount of antibiotics, I think we're definitely seeing shifts in the microbiome. And 
you know, it's important to recognize that that good bacteria that line our intestines and actually our whole body, mm-hmm. um, that that good bacteria is really an important, has an important impact on the functioning of our immune system. So, you know, I always will say to people, we want to avoid antibiotics unless we absolutely need them. And, and um, again, it's important to really have that conversation with your individual physician. But so often, you know, people go, oh, I don't feel good. I've got this cold. Maybe I can just take an antibiotic and it'll go away, you know, because sometimes when we got the flu or cold, we just want it to go away. But you really want to step back and say, I only want to take an antibiotic if I have to. And, and that's an important thing to remember. Um, you want your own immune system to get rid of the infection. And if it's a virus, you know, the antibiotic's not going to do anything except potentially cause, cause you some harm. And as I was saying earlier, the other thing we know is fiber. Fiber, fiber, fiber feeds that good bacteria in our body, right? So, so when we're really focused on getting a high fiber diet through all of our vegetables and uh, nuts and seeds and beans and legumes, all that rich fiber feeds the good bacteria and allows them to, uh, to grow, to grow in our body. And so when we're eating a diet that's, um, when somebody's eating a diet that's refined and processed and low in fiber, we see an unhealthy shift in the microbiome. And it'd be interesting to see over time, you know, how much we can, we can see a connection with with uh, cancer. We know there's been a lot of research looking at the microbiome and other cancers, but, it, but there has been a lot looking at, at breast cancer as well. There's a couple of myths out there, Dr. Elizabeth. One of them is around estrogen replacement therapy. What are your thoughts on does estrogen replacement therapy or any hormone replacement therapy play a role in breast cancer? Well, you know, that's a great question. And it is, um, of course, really complex. And um, it depends on the hormone therapy that we're speaking about. So, um, you know, that Women's Health Initiative, I think that was in that study that that was done came out in 2001, maybe it was a while ago. And they showed the connection between hormone replacement therapy and breast cancer risk. But we have to remember that that was done using synthetic, I'm sorry, it was a pregnant horse's urine estrogen, right? So they used Prempro or Premarin, which is not a bioidentical estrogen. So because of that, many of us have been saying, well, what about, what if we used a more natural form of estrogen, one that's considered bioidentical, identical to the type of estrogen that you have in your own body? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then it's really an interesting conversation. Unfortunately, we don't have enough research yet to really make a, a full recommendation. Um, but we, because we, we do know that as a woman's estrogen level in her body increases, mm-hmm. so does her risk of breast cancer. So if, even if we're just, even if it's just our natural estrogen, what our own body's making, that does influence our risk. So it is, it is complex. We do know that if a woman has breast cancer, estrogen therapy can cause it to grow, especially certain types of breast cancer, the estrogen receptor positive breast cancers. So I don't think we have enough research. But, but if somebody is going to use hormone therapy um, because they have symptoms and they need some help with some of their symptoms, you want to really think about using a bioidentical 
hormone therapy, something that's identical to what your body makes and pay attention to the dose. You know, we used to give high, high, high doses of, of estrogen and sometimes a little bit goes a long way. When I'm working with a patient, I really look at their, um, their personal family history, um, but I also pay attention to how their body metabolizes estrogen and what their potential individual risk is. So uh, we, we do that through sometimes genetic testing, um, looking at how their body is, is getting rid of, of estrogen and metabolizing it, and, um, and, then, and then paying attention to why are we thinking about using hormones, right? So, um, and figuring out if hormones are the best way to treat this person. So I think that um, I never do a knee-jerk response. Oh, I, I mean, I don't believe that if a woman's hormones start to decrease, we have to replace them. I don't think that's true at all. I think that there are times when hormone therapy can be really beneficial, um, but, but you know, we need, to, we need to do that carefully and thoughtfully and mindfully and really pay attention to what we're doing and, and look at how somebody's responding to it and how their body's tolerating it and handling it. On that note, I actually have to ask you uh, what I call a question in the weeds. Have, do you use something like Dimpromy for women that don't process estrogen or hormones very well? They may have methylation issues. And I think given the toxic exposures we have, I think all of our bodies are struggling with having a highly effective detox um, internal procedure. Do you do things like offering Dimpro, which is actually something that I take just you know, which is why I'm asking, do you believe these kinds of natural supplements work? And is that something you recommend? Absolutely. Um, I will use DIM often, um, or um, I will often also use sulforaphane. Um, these come from broccoli extracts, you know, or cruciferous vegetables. Uh, these components can help the body metabolize and detoxify estrogen as well as other toxins in the environment. And they can be phenomenal um, at, at helping the body. So um, I think there's some really good, good research there. And so we'll, we'll use those often. Um, and the other thing we talk about is really what you can do nutritionally to support your natural detoxification systems. Mm -hmm. um, and that's really, again, the, those, uh, those cruciferous vegetables. So that's broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage, kale, Brussels sprouts. Um, they have components in them um, that really help support your natural detoxification system. And you want, you really want to get some of that into your diet every day. Um, so, so supporting your natural detoxification system is really is really important. And we can do that through cruciferous vegetables, through a high fiber diet through um, making sure we're having regular bowel movements, eating enough fiber, that we're um, drinking enough water, that we're sweating with exercise, and, um, and then even things like lymphatic massage or massage are helpful too in sauna use for, for detoxification support. Mm -hmm, absolutely. I think it truly does have to be done every day, isn't it? You know, we, we, it used to be you could have a couple of uh, pieces of broccoli and and get away with that, and that was enough. And I think now the world we live in, you're right, it needs to be on the daily menu. So yeah, you know, and some of us don't detoxify as well as others. And, and I know um, 
for myself that, that I don't just based on some of the genetic testing that I've had. And, um, and so I know that it's, it's really important for me to focus in on that and, and for many of my patients as well. So when we, when we figure out based on somebody's history or, or some of their genetic variations that they need to support detoxification, then we really focus on that. But like you were mentioning, the environment has just, we're just, it's being flooded with all the chemicals and toxins, xenoestrogens, pesticides, plastic you know, what people are putting on their lawn with this belief that our lawn needs to look a certain way, right. you know, and it's getting into our water supply and the antibiotics and growth hormones we're using in our, in our food supply. I mean, it is, it's, it's, it is very hard to, to avoid, but we, we need to both work to avoid a lot of toxins on our own and, and work to change what, what we're doing to our environment as well. And that's all about education, right? Cause I think, I know I was shocked the first time I heard that there were more than 250 toxins found in the placenta of newborn babies, indicating yeah. that there are so many toxins that a woman's body just doesn't process out very well, and they go into the fetus. And so my mind thought, wait a minute, that means I must have more than that circulating around my body, my blood at, at a given point in time. And it was just eye-opening because you don't think of it that way, right? We don't think of living in a toxic world. We, we think we live in a beautiful, clean world, and then the truth is just very far from that. Let's talk about um, another very controversial topic, which is preventative mastectomy, which is, of course, something that Angelina Jolie and a few others have brought to national news. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So, you know, um, this is another one of those very individual decisions. Um, I think that, uh, that, that the, you know, this kind of ties in with the whole question you asked earlier about mammography. Unfortunately, um, for in some situations, mammography is, is picking up things that are not a, a problem for women and is, is causing us to go back again and again and again for repeat imaging and repeat testing and repeat biopsies. And it's enough to sort of push a woman over the edge and say, I just don't want to deal with this anymore. And, um, and, and I think so that's one reason that, that women are making that decision because the, the screening test is, is not great because it, and it is leading to a lot of anxiety and, and over worry and over testing. Um, but on the other hand, with, with some women who are at very high risk, that's really the women who have, sh who have a variation in their, uh, their BRCA gene um, that, that does increase risk of, of breast cancer and ovarian cancer for some women sub substantially, um, that, that, that the decision may, may, it may be the right decision for them to, to look at um, a, a mastectomy um, to to. So they don't have to continue to be screening regularly, but it's a big surgery. You know, it's, it's a big surgery with a big recovery. And so it should be, it should be thought through really carefully. And, and, um, and, and, you know, again, you need to really have that conversation with, with your doctor individually and see what's the right decision for you. Mm -hmm. But is that something you would recommend? Um, you know, it's so hard to say. I mean, if, if you, it depends on that individual person. So it's not something I'm typically recommending. Um, but there may be somebody given their risk factor analysis, what they've gone through, 
their personal history, their genetics that we know about, that it may, may, may be the right decision for them. What about soy? There's another method. <laughs> soy, and um, there's two different camps. Which side are you on? What are your thoughts? Um, I'm going to say I'm down the middle, but um, really a really great uh, a study came out a few years ago. Um, I think it was called the China study mm-hmm. called that, that really show that there is no increased risk of um, breast cancer with soy, though it's important to note that they were, they were measuring natural sources of soy, meaning, um, you know, tofu or edamame in somebody's diet and their risk of, of breast cancer. So um, I think that, that when a woman, I don't think a woman needs to be concerned about those non-GMO natural sources of soy. Unfortunately, um, our, our, our food supply is full of a lot of unhealthy sources of soy. So I think it's important that we, we read labels and we avoid a lot of processed soy. Um, for example, here's a good example. So in, in a lot of bars and cereals, they'll put something called texturized, te- texturized soy protein isolates. Mm-hmm. Um, that type of soy, I don't think has been well studied. And so we really don't know how that influences our risk. I also recommend, you know, staying with, with organic soy and, and, um, non-GMO soy, because again, that, that we know can have some actual healthful benefits for all of us. And it's a great, uh, vegetarian protein source and, um, um, and actually can lower in effect, estrogen levels in the body because it can block our own body's estrogen at the estrogen receptor. But we have to be careful with where we're getting our soy from. And um, there's a lot of unhealthy soy in the environment. So, but if you stay away from processed food, you'll get a lot less of that and really reach for whole food sources. Um, Then I'm not really that worried about soy. What about deodorants and perspirants? So there was this whole conversation around aluminum and and how those might be potentially creating the toxic the toxic overload that potentially leads to breast cancer. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, with all of our our, our body care products, including deodorant, you know, you want to go toward ones that don't have um, unhealthful ingredients in it, so that are um, are are paraben free. And I, you know, I. I stay away from aluminum in my deodorant and I choose, um, um, I don't want to use antiperspirants because I, I don't want to stop the, the, the perspiration process. I just, right. So, exactly. You want to so, detox, right? You want yeah, to, you want right? to the whole point of it. You have exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, and, and, you know, environmental working group, the EWG is a great website with lots of great resources of healthier uh, body care products. You know, but you also want to, you know, when you're looking at your body care products, look for that word paraben. You want to stay away from paraben. It may be methyl paraben or other forms of paraben on there. It's found in moisturizers and, and other uh, uh, face creams and washes, body washes. We want to stay away from those because that can, they can act, they are xenoestrogens. They can, they're toxins that can, that can influence the estrogen receptor in our body and shift our hormone balance. So um, that those are things you really want to avoid as well. 
Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Let's talk about someone who's been diagnosed with breast cancer. What would we recommend are the top two or three things that they do immediately? The number one is to avoid, you know, as much added sugar in their diet as possible. It doesn't mean you can't have a little bit every once in a while, but but as we as we know, the food supply is has so much added sugar in it, and it's something you really want to avoid. So I think the number one thing is go to a whole foods diet that is, you know, and get rid of those packaged foods as you were just mentioning. And the second thing I think is to give your body time to rest every day. So, you know, what, what really helped me, what really helped me was journaling. Um, when, when I was going through treatment, um, I had a journal, I, I would meditate um, every day. I was writing in my journal and I started to do a gratitude journal at that time. And you know, what, what I did is every day I would write down three things I was grateful for. And it was amazing what that did for me and how that helped me in the healing process, how it, it helped the fear go away and it helped my body calm down and it helped me, you know, really change my focus of, of one of fear to one of, okay, I can do this. And, and that was, that was, so helpful for me. So I always recommend, you know, with my patients, get, you know, get a journal, start doing, you know, writing down your three things you're grateful for every day. And some days, you know, you're going to write down like, you know, you're gonna be like, I can't think of anything. And then you just write down, you know, the sun, food, you know, because you can't think of anything, you know, you're just making up stuff. But then over time, I think the body really, the body really, um, in the mind really starts to, to, to feel that gratitude itself and then really shift your, the mind process. And, and that's really important, I think, for healing. Um, I couldn't agree more. I have a similar story. When I fell sick a few years ago, I had read about the importance of gratitude and the importance of um, visualizing your healing. And I went out and got a couple of journals and none of them really worked for me. So I actually created a journal. It's called My Heal Journal. And it's literally designed for exactly what you're sharing, which is you write in a daily, you keep it right next to your bed. It's the first thing you do in the morning. It's the last thing you do at night. And of course, in addition to gratitude, it allows you to track your meds, your moods, your things you've added, things you've removed, notes, reminders, test results. So it, it's sort of your partner in healing, in your healing journey, with the assumption that you're lovely. Yeah, yeah. And it's, I couldn't agree with you more. It made the biggest difference in my life as well. Just the ability to change my context from one of, oh my God, I'm so sick, I might die, to, oh my God, how lucky am I to be alive? Yeah. What a fantastic recommendation there. I think everyone who's in the, on a journey to heal should have a healing journal of some sort and should be journaling. Any other such great insights or tips? I mean, what's, what's the hottest, latest, newest breakthrough treatment in breast cancer? Two, two things I think are, are really interesting. And, and um, um, one is the concept of terrain. And, and I talk a lot about this in my DVD. Um, on breast wellness, like you were mentioning, is, is, is not just focusing so much on that breast cell, right, that breast cancer cell, but thinking about the terrain in the body, right, um, all of the things that feed that cancer cell, right, the soil in that 
in your body, right? So the terrain, what we can do to create a healthy terrain in our body, because that influences whether or not that that cell, that cancer cell will grow and proliferate and metastasize, right? So it's important to really focus on that terrain. And I think that there's a big shift in, in, in cancer and in breast cancer treatment and is, is moving away from just that cancer cell and thinking about how all the whole body is, is um, influencing the growth. So for example, um, even conventional oncologists will use uh, medication and to lower insulin levels in the body to decrease the growth of cancer, right? So this whole process of insulin resistance that we know increases a person's cancer risk mm-hmm. when they're, um, so let's all back up for a second. When you're, when you eat uh, lunch, your body's blood sugar goes up and your, your, your body makes insulin and insulin is the hormone that gets the food into the cells, into the muscles. So your body can utilize that food for ATP or energy. And what can happen over time, or if we're eating the wrong foods, or if we have the wrong microbiome, or for other reasons, we can become more insulin resistant. And what that means is that after we eat, our body needs to make more insulin to get the food where it needs to go. And what we know is that high level of insulin increases our risk of cancer. It increases the growth of cancer if we have cancer, right? So whatever we can do to prevent those insulin spikes, I was talking about that earlier, through balancing blood sugar. But even conventional oncologists are using medications that that improve insulin sensitivity called metformin in an effort to decrease the spread of cancer, which is kind of interesting. So what that means to all of us is that you know there are things we can do to improve insulin sensitivity every day through balancing our blood sugar, getting out and exercise, uh, talking about you know eating enough fiber, making sure we're getting good and restful sleep. I think that's that's a huge advance in the fields of 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 cancer and breast cancer. So I talk a lot about the terrain in my body, in in your body, right? In my DVD, Uh, what can we do to lower inflammation? Because that we know that the cancer likes to grow when there's a lot of inflammation in the body. So what can we do to lower inflammation? Um, Looking for, um, is there any underlying uh, infection in the body or imbalance in the digestive system or anything that may be a trigger to inflammation? Uh, maybe you're holding on to too much uh, belly fat, fat around the belly. That increases inflammation as well. Mm-hmm. Or you're not eating enough of those omega-3 fats, right, from, from fatty fish or ground flaxseed or chia seed. So, um, so I think that's an important aspect as well. So pay attention to the terrain. We're not just focusing on that one cancer cell. We're thinking about all the whole terrain in the body. That makes so much sense. Let's talk supplements before we wrap up. Are there any supplements that you have found to truly help a body heal or a body fight infection? And are there supplements you recommend a woman who's worried about breast cancer or who has breast cancer take on a regular basis? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that um, 
if you are not being monitored by a physician who kind of knows about supplements and, and what to use, um, then some of the ones that you may be thinking about are the DIM you were mentioning earlier or sulforaphane. Um, great, great supplement out there to help the body with detoxification. Um, I often will recommend omega-3 fats or fish oil just to help with lowering inflammation in the body. Um, I, I always tell somebody to, if they are taking a B-complex or a multivitamin, to make sure that it does not contain folic acid. Mm. So, so folic acid is the synthetic form of folate. And um, so folate comes from your foliage, your green leafy vegetables. And we, we know that folate is so important for optimal health. It helps in that process of methylation that you were talking about earlier. And it's very important for energy and for our mitochondria to work well. So, so folate is very healthy for us. But there's a synthetic form called folic acid that's in a lot of supplements and has actually been in, put in a lot of different, you know, fortified and cereals and, and other foods. And folic acid, not everybody can utilize folic acid very well. And there is, there has been some concern that, that it may be um, influencing negatively a person's risk of cancer. Um, on the other hand, in addition to that, it really, not everybody has the ability to turn, utilize it in their body. And so what you really want to look for when you're getting a B vitamin or a multivitamin is you want to make sure it has folate in it, like a methylfolate or a folinic um, acid in it, not folic acid. So usually the higher quality vitamins out there will contain that. And I think that's a, that's a really important um, thing to be looking for if you're doing supplementation. And then lastly, I will always recommend uh, vitamin D or almost always recommend vitamin D for, mm -hmm. for people, for women from a breast cancer prevention standpoint and recommend that they check with their doctor, have their vitamin D level checked periodically try to get their 25 hydroxy vitamin D to over 50 um, and if and if and then supplement to that to that point. So for some women it may be 2000 I use of vitamin D a day for other women it may be 5000 I use of vitamin D a day. For some women it may be more than that to get their vitamin D to the correct place, but at that point they really need to be carefully monitored because they could they potentially could get too much. So those are kind of the the basics that we'll start with. And is there an upper limit to vitamin D? Yeah, you know, I think it depends. It really depends on the person. So um, for, some, for some people, um, they can get, um, their, their vitamin D level can go too high um, when they take 5,000 IUs a day. But for other people, they need 5,000 just to get to a, a good level. And the biggest risk for too much vitamin D, one of the biggest risks is kidney stones. So if you have a history of kidney stones, or um, then you want to watch your vitamin D level a little bit more carefully. Mm -hmm. For most people, the need, their, their need is somewhere between 2,000 IUs and 5,000 IUs a day um, of supplementation. But what about testing? Any recommendations on any new and exciting tests that are out there? either for breast cancer detection or during the process while you're going through uh, whatever treatment plan you're going through, any specific testing that you recommend? So, so we were talking about vitamin D. Um, 
I think the other thing that most people can get their regular physician to order is a C-reactive protein. That's a marker for inflammation in their body. And, um, and we want that to be less than one. We want the CRP to be less than one. So if it's elevated, it, it, it's a signal to you that you want to look for what could be causing some increased inflammation in your body. Because remember, we were saying inflammation can cause cancer to grow. So that's a, that's a great test to, to monitor and look at. You can have your physician do a fasting insulin level. And we want your fasting, we want your fasting insulin to be at around five. Um, when it starts to get up around 10 or higher, it really is a sign that fasting that is, it's a sign that there could be some insulin resistance like we were speaking about. In terms of new and different tests, we're always looking at, at new and different tests. We look a lot at, at, at the genetic testing that can evaluate how good somebody is at detoxifying and producing glutathione. We look at methylation tests. That's, that's a genetic, you know, genetically as well. We'll look at the microbiome and balances in the, in the microbiome and how that may influence um, uh, detoxification and mobilization of toxins or, or estrogens as well. This has been so insightful, Dr. Elizabeth. Thank you so much. I hear you've got a special guest for our listeners today. Could you share a little bit about the DVD? Um, yeah, so um, I put together my DVD uh, really to highlight what can we do from a functional medicine perspective um, to decrease our risk uh, or, or prevent breast cancer from occurring. So it's, it's called Breast Wellness, Tools to Prevent and Reverse Breast Cancer. And um, you can go, get it on my website, drboham.com. If you put in a disc, if you put in the code breast thirty wellness, so sorry, breast thirty wellness, B R E A S T thirty W E L L N E S S, you'll get thirty percent off. Um, you can also there's a link there if you want to just download it instantly and watch it on Vimeo, you can do that. And there's also a link there that you can download a free ebook. So um, it doesn't have everything that's on my DVD, but a lot of the information on my DVD is, is on this free ebook that you can download. So you just have to go to drboham.com and, and you can do that. My DVD is also available on Amazon if, if somebody would rather go there. Wonderful. Really appreciate that. And of course, uh, for you listeners, we're going to have those links in the show notes, so you'll be able to access those links that way as well, in case you're not able to jot it down while you're driving and listening to the podcast. Uh, Dr. Elizabeth, do you do telemedicine? Do you practice telemedicine at this point? So for someone who's not in Lenox, are they able to consult with you? Um, so at our practice at the Ultra Wellness Center, when somebody comes the first time, they have to come in person um, they, for, for our physicians to see them. So for me to see them or one of our physicians to see them, the first visit has to be done in person. But after that, all the follow-up care, we can do that uh, by phone or through Skype. That sounds wonderful. One last thing as we wrap up today, what is the one piece of advice you want everyone to keep in mind as they either are on their healing journey or they want to prevent breast cancer? You know, I think the, the, um, the one thing that I would say is that we do have a lot of influence over the terrain in our body. Um, we can influence it with every choice we make. Um, and it's important for us to, to take time to take care of our body. You know, the quote, you yourself, as much as anyone else, 
deserve and it deserves your love and attention. You know, that's very important for us to be taking, taking the time to take care of ourselves. Oh, that is so beautifully said. Thank you so much again for your time. And for the rest of you, stay smiling. You've got a laundry list of things to do, including taking care of yourself, detoxing, eating some cruciferous vegetables. And of course, as I say, stay smiling. We'll see you soon on another podcast. That's a wrap. Share your love with a five-star review and get show notes at healthbootcamps.com. Connect with us on Health Bootcamps Facebook and Twitter. Also, don't forget to check out other great interviews and subscribe to the Get Healthier podcast today.